One announcement I forgot to share with you a few moments ago. Uh, today, we would love for you to be able to spend some time uh, with our missionary family. So we have a lunch and learn right after this service uh, over in Reed Hall, uh, 1230 till about two. Uh, and so no RSVP needed. So just move on over after the service. Uh, and we would love uh, to get to you, for you to be able to hear some more about the work that they're doing. And uh, they'll also, of course, be uh, near the missions table after the service, along with those holiday service guides as well. Uh, and so thank you for that. And if you will now take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Uh, as we continue our journey this month through this verse, uh, our church's mission statement, engaging the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to be equipped to do that uh, anywhere, anytime with anybody. Uh, and so we need to understand uh, the dimensions of the whole person uh, and how that connects to the whole gospel. And so last week, I want to give a shout out to Juan Sally, our uh, congregational, and, and, uh, congregational care and discipleship minister who did a great job uh, looking at the heart aspect for us, and today we're going to talk about the soul. But before we get there, I don't know how many of you ever use this website, uh, but I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it. eBay, right? E-commerce, it was one of the first ones out there. It's kind of cool because sometimes you can find some bargains uh, because you can bid on items. I also kind of hate that because I'm competitive as a guy and you don't want to be outbid, so sometimes you're tempted to pay more than you should for things. But over the years, there have been some unusual items sold on this website. Uh, one of them a couple of years ago, a grilled cheese sandwich that looked like Mother Teresa sold for $28,000. A guy had a Dorito that was in the shape of the Pope's hat, and somehow he hawked it on there for 1200 bucks. One of my favorites, a guy in Denver in the middle of a snowstorm took a picture of his yard and, and put for sale an unassembled snowman there. I like the ingenuity of that guy, all right? So there's all kinds of things that people put for sale on eBay. But about 10 years ago, there started a new trend. A drummer for a band in Britain was trying to raise some money for his little band. And so he tried to auction off his soul on eBay. And so then a couple of months later, a guy in Ontario, Canada did it. The bidding got to about 20 bucks before finally eBay had to issue a policy. Here is their policy. eBay does not allow the auctioning of human souls for the following reason. Number one, if the soul does not exist, eBay could not allow the auctioning of the soul because there would be nothing to sell. Number two, if the soul does exist, then in accordance with eBay's policy on human parts and remains, we would not allow the auctioning of human souls. Number three, the real problem, eBay says, is that the seller has to, quote, be in a position where you can deliver what you sell. And so who knew that an e-commerce site would have to grapple with some of the most existential questions, existential questions in all of humanity? What is a soul? Uh, how does that work? What is that all about? And I'm grateful that in the Gospels, Jesus told us that one of the dimensions by which we love him is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul. Let's lean into this familiar story again today. Stand with me in honor of God's word as we read. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to them, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Pray with me this morning. Father, we admit that we live in difficult times for the soul. There's a lot of us who are soul sick. There's a lot of people in our world who their souls are crushed. And so, Father, I pray today that we have a better understanding of what our soul is, what it means to love you with all of our soul, and how we love our neighbor's soul as well. So God, would you open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to you in this place today, and it's in your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning. And so again, we lean into this familiar passage. Because we know there was something going on in the soul of the very people that were questioning Jesus. That's evident. They knew the truth, as we talked about for the past couple of weeks, in their head. But yet, they were tempted to manipulate the situation for their own gain, namely to silence Jesus. And so as Jesus is confronted, he quotes from the Shema, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, a passage of scripture that was familiar to all of the Orthodox Jews of their time and ours as well. And in doing so, Jesus helps us understand that we're to love God with every fabric, every fiber of our being. So I want to be clear as we begin to lean into this dimension of who we are, that we understand that first and foremost, we are holistic creatures. And the emphasis in both the Shema and in Jesus' quoting of this passage is the idea that we're to love God with the totality of who we are. And yet it's often helpful for us as people to take a look at the dimensions of what it means to love God with all of our heart, our affections, what it means to love him with all of our soul. Today, devotion. Next week, we're gonna talk about the mind and how we love God well with all of our mind. But the first question that we need to answer today is this. What exactly is the soul? Psalm 103.1 declares, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, that is a convenient prayer that you can use if you've forgotten to pray before your meal. You pray it after your meal. See what I did there? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. So just saying. But the reality is we are creatures who have souls. The Bible is clear on that. And so for a lot of us, it's difficult to try to put our finger exactly on what that means. How many of you watched Looney Tunes growing up? Any of you? All right, remember when Bugs Bunny would somehow smash or destroy Daffy Duck, and so all of a sudden this little ghost-looking thing would come out of Daffy, right, and float up, right? That's the picture that many of us have in our mind of what our, our soul is, because we need a picture sometimes to be able to picture these realities. For many of us, the first time we can really remember hearing the soul talked about was that little bedtime prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my. Which is a terrifying prayer for a three-year-old to hear. I'm with comedian Tim Hawkins on that one, right? So as a kid, I laid awake, my eyes were wide open at that point. So there's all of these phrases that we use. We have soul music and we have soul food. SOS means save our 
souls. And so we toss this word around in culture, but sometimes we have a hard time putting our finger on exactly what it means. Well, let's take a look at the biblical language when it comes to the word soul. In the Old Testament, Jesus, of course, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter six, the word is used, get this, 790 times in the Old Testament, 140 in Psalms alone. The word is nefesh, and so the idea is of soul, life, personality, even breath, coming from Genesis two, verse seven, where it says that God formed Adam out of the dust, and he breathed into him, and he became a living being. Nefesh. And so this idea of life, of us, our soul being what drives our life is found throughout the Hebrew scriptures. Then when we get to the New Testament, the word is psyche, where we get the word psychology. Isn't that interesting that in its original form, psychology is the study of the soul. We've made it in our culture the study of the self. The two are related, but they're not exactly the same. And it's why so many struggle, I think, trying to find psychological health because they're leaving out the most important dimension of who they are, the spiritual self. And so that word in the New Testament was used over 90 times. It's interesting, the different definitions that people try to use, but I think one of the best is the idea of the core self. Dallas Willard, an evangelical author and scholar, puts it this way. This fragile, vulnerable, precious thing about you is called your soul. You're not just a self, you're a soul. You're a soul made by God, you're a soul made for God, you're a soul made to need God, which means that you were not made to be self-sufficient. What is running your life at any given moment is your soul, not your external circumstances, not merely your thoughts, not just your attentions, not even your feelings, but your soul. Get this. The soul is that aspect of your being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of self. The soul is this life center of human beings. An illustration I think that's helpful for us, it's not perfect, no illustrations are, but an illustration that's helpful for us is the operating system on our computers. When you log on to your computer, right, you start doing whatever you're doing. You're doing email, you're making Word documents, you're doing spreadsheets if you're an accountant, you're doing all of these kind of things. And you don't really pay much attention to the fact that what's running all of that is an operating system until what happens? Until it freezes, until it locks up, until you get the blue screen of death and you lose everything that you have been working on. In the same way, we have this outer self, The self that we project, the self that we dress up, the self that we try to help people think, this is what I am. But then there is this inner self that is operating and running in the background all of the time. The problem is, is we neglect that inner self because it's a self that is hidden. It's hidden except for to me and to God. And so we go, 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 and we run it, we run it, and we run it. Until just like those of us who have like 37 tabs open on our computer at a time, right? It finally crashes, it freezes, it locks up, and then we're like, oh, I have not paid attention to my soul. And so this leads us to question number two, a diagnostic question. So what is wrong with our souls? What is wrong with our souls? Because you see, the soul, as God designed it, was intended to integrate us 
to integrate who we are if our soul is aligned with his in our mind, in our body, in all of our functionality. But what happens, what's the opposite of integration is disintegration. And it's why so many of us feel this. We don't often call it these technical terms, but we'll say things like this, and I hear this all the time as a pastor. My life is what? Falling apart. My life is unraveling at the seams. What is that? That's a cry of a soul-sick heart. It's the cry of soul brokenness, that I'm coming apart, and I don't know what to be able to do about it. So Jesus, turn with me over a few pages to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus teaches us about this reality. And in Matthew 16, I wanna back up a couple of verses to the one I have on the screen, verse 24. Jesus has just predicted his death and his resurrection to his disciples. And Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. And here it is. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? In the, in the Christian Standard Bible, it says life. Again, same word. What is a gain? What is a profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? And so most of us have understood that. Here you go, big word coming, warning, in an eschatological sense. What that means is ultimate things, end times, end of our life. And rightfully so, it makes sense, the logic is there. If you pursue the stuff of this world, that's not going to help you get into heaven. But think about the context in which Jesus teaches this passage. He's teaching his disciples about discipleship and disciple making in the here and now. So before you get to eternity, you have to decide what you're going to build your life around. So this passage isn't only about a destination, it's also meant to be a diagnostic for our soul. Because if you are pursuing all of the stuff of this world, it can't give your soul, it can't feed your soul what it needs. It only sucks your soul dry. And so what an important truth for us to recognize that Jesus was teaching us. If we're trying to gain the world, if as disciples of Jesus we're trying to get ahead by the very means that the culture around us is, then eventually it's going to cost us. It's going to split us and divide us. We live in a soul-crushing world, and it's dangerous to our souls. As we talked about in the last series, the pace of our lives the level of distraction that we have. Because of technology, we've just simply tried to do more and more and more. And it's causing great disruption in our souls because our souls, our whole selves, can't keep up. We can't process. Anybody heard of the name Chuck Yeager? He was a famous test pilot in the previous generation. I read his autobiography several years ago. He talked about a time at Edwards Air Force Base where they were testing out some of these Mach 2 jets, rockets. And he talked about an experiment in which they were trying to figure out what weapons they could put on these, these, uh, these airplanes that flew incredibly fast. And he said one of his colleagues actually shot his uh, machine gun, and then he proceeded to fly so fast that the bullets penetrated that, uh, the shell of his airplane. In other words, he shot himself down. And I fear that we do the exact same thing. 
that a lot of the problem with our souls is self-inflicted because we're moving at a pace that's so quick that we unleash unhealthiness, right? And we can't outrun it because it's us. It's us. We talk about self a lot in our culture, but we don't talk about soul enough. And they're related, but they are not the same thing. It's been hugely popular, a buzz phrase in the past couple of years to talk about self-care. And that means, right, sounds good on the surface, that I'm gonna take a little time for me, that I'm gonna focus on me. But I think the answer is deeper. I think the answer is soul care. We need soul care more than we need just self-care. Self-care can be a part of it. And if you're talking about paying attention to your emotional and physical self, yes, absolutely. But let's not turn our focus in as if we have the remedy for what we need. We show evidence of our soul sickness all the time in our culture. The Journal of the American Medical Association did a report. In this last hundred years, each generation is three times more likely than the generation before it to experience depression. Why is that? A secular doctor put it this way. We have replaced faith, church, and community with a tiny little unit, self, that cannot bear the weight of ultimate meaning. We're all about the self, and we revolve our lives around ourselves. So, if you find yourself experiencing fear, anxiety, hard-heartedness, if you find yourself lashing out at the people that you love the most and anger, perhaps that is a sign. That is a sign that your soul is sick. And I'm a guy, I hate admitting that I'm sick. My wife will tell you that. Guys, can I get an amen? I'm like the worst patient that there is. But there are times that I have to admit I am so sick that I can't get better unless I get to a doctor because I need resources outside myself. And that's why we need the gospel of Jesus. Question three for us this morning. What do our souls need to be whole? What do our souls need? to be whole. Well, first of all, our souls need to put our hope in God. Psalm 42, verse five. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Some translations say downcast. Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him. You see, the wisdom of the psalmist there is to recognize that we all have times that our souls are gonna be troubled. We all have times that our souls are gonna be overwhelmed. So the remedy is not to try to distract ourselves with our diversions and our entertainments. The remedy is not to try to run faster as if we can outrun ourselves. The remedy is not to move towards codependent behaviors on substances or in relationships. The answer instead for us is to go to God, to confess the reality that our soul is downcast and dejected, and to number one, put our hope in him. So number one, for our souls to be whole, we need to put our hope in him. For our souls to be whole, number two, we've got to deal with our sin issue. And we have to allow Jesus to be the remedy for our sin. So number two, we have to put to death our sin in Christ. In James chapter one, where it's talking about the man who is unstable in all of his ways, the man who is tossed to and fro like a ship on the ocean. The word that's used there is double-minded. The word for soul, 
double-souled, double-psyched. In other words, sin divides ourselves against ourselves. And so we don't know which way to go. We don't know what to do. Not only that, 1 Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, that sin wages war against our soul. Dear friends, beloved, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. How do we deal with that? 1 Peter tells us, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, we need to be rescued from the state that we're in. And our souls are only complete, only complete in Christ Jesus. I need you guys to clear up a little debate we're having in my family right now. My daughters, Lexi and Ella, believe that at the first little gust of fall breeze, it is totally appropriate to start playing Christmas music. I believe that's a heresy, okay? So we're gonna have a vote. We're gonna settle this once and all for all this morning, okay, right? How many of you think it's okay to be listening to Christmas music right now? Show of hands. All opposed? Let me see your hands. Yeah, the nays have it. <laughs> Girls, no Christmas music until at least Thanksgiving. Now, let me totally back that up because we need to talk about a Christmas song for a second. <laughs> See what I did there, right? Oh, holy night, how many of you love that song? Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That line gives me chills because it's the gospel. Our condition that we are in sin and error and that old word pining, we are longing, we are looking for something to fill us up. And we're looking for it in all of the wrong places. Our souls are shattered, our souls are needy, our souls are broken, and here is the coolest truth of all. God designed us to be sufficient, to, be, to, to need him, to be needy on him. We're not designed to be sufficient in and of ourselves. And here is what's amazing about that truth is that God has infinite resources. In other words, our need matches up with the very thing that God longs to provide for us in Christ. And so therefore, it's in Christ that our soul knows its ultimate worth. So our neediness, because every soul I've ever met, right, is a soul that needs something. That need is not designed to be met in anything less than the resources of the gospel in Christ Jesus. That is good news. Good news for you, and it's good news for me. So we, what do our souls need? To put our hope in God, to put to death our sin in Christ, and number three, to prioritize our need for soul care. Psalm 82, verse four. How my soul longs and yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. We need to care for our souls. And so our souls need rest if we're going to care for them well, and our souls need rhythm. They need daily spiritual practices and habits. When it comes to rest, 
I love Psalm 23, that he makes me lie down in green pastures, that he leads me beside quiet waters, that he restores my what? Soul. That's the rest that we need. We need spiritual rhythms and practices. We need to be in his word. We need to be in prayer. Psalm 19.7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. And so we need to make soul care a focus of our time. Translation, when you're feeling soul weary, the answer is not, I'm gonna go watch and binge watch a show on Netflix. When my soul is tired, the best thing for me to do is not spend another hour on social media looking, by the way, at everybody else's outward projections that has very little to do with their actual soul. The last thing that I need to do is to fill my mind and my heart with more entertainment and diversions. No, what I need to do is to be led beside the quiet waters. I need my soul restored. But what we don't wanna do is allow that to stop with us. Because when we drink deeply of the well of God's mercy and grace and truth, it should spill out of us and on to others. And so the fourth thing that we need to do is we need to care about the soul care of others. You see, when we talk about the soul, it's very tempting for us to be all about ourselves. But did you realize there's a missional component to this as well? If you're around people who are soul sick and soul starved and craving for something for their souls, and we in Jesus Christ have those resources, we should offer it to them. Remember what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus forever intertwined those two, so even in my soul care, I should care deeply about the soul condition of others. We used to call this soul winning. We call it evangelism or gospel conversations now but caring about the spiritual condition of your neighbor, your coworker, your family member, your friend, that's a part of what we're called to do. In a world in which trauma, as it's been said, is the mission field of the 21st century, do you think it matters that as disciples of Jesus, we have access to soul care so that we can go to people with soul resources to heal their wounded souls? Absolutely, it does. That's why it's important that we're on the front lines of those types of ministries in our church and in our world is because we have an awesome chance to say, listen, my soul suffers too. There's times I neglect my soul, my soul is needy, but let me tell you about the one that I've found. Let me tell you about Jesus who fills all things in every way and don't just point them, but walk with them to the cross of Jesus Christ because ultimately we want to look like him, and that leads us to our fourth question this morning. Is So what does a healthy soul look like? Turn with me to Colossians chapter three in your Bible. Paul's laying out to the Colossians in the last couple of chapters of this letter what a healthy soul, a life connected to Jesus, what that looks like. And so measure your life against these marks. Ask yourself, does my soul bear witness with these realities of someone who is in Christ? Verse 12, Colossians 3, therefore as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Someone whose soul is healthy in Christ puts on 
Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience are those words that would mark your life right now. Number two, those who are healthy, who have healthy souls, can forgive as Christ forgave you. Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Verse 14, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Is your life marked by peace, love, unity, thanksgiving? Is your life overflowing with the word of God? Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And here's the big one, right? Here's the one to measure all the others. Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The mark of someone whose soul is healthy is able to say everything that I do. I do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is an incredible mark of soul health because we live in a world in which the circumstances will always be changing, in which the situations of our life will often prove challenging. And so the mark of a healthy soul is one that says, I am anchored to Jesus in the deep resources of the gospel. Yeah, I'm gonna have my emotional ups and downs, but my soul is at peace and at rest because I am in Christ and in him, I'm gonna offer that same life, life that is abundant, life that is true to others as well. Being able to say that in the most difficult of circumstances is evidence that your soul is healthy. The song that we sang earlier and that we're about to sing again, It Is Well, was written by a man whose soul had been tested. Horatio Spafford lost a son and died of a disease in 1870. In 1871, he had most of his investments in real estate in Chicago that were completely wiped out by the great Chicago fire. A couple of years later, he put his wife and his four daughters on a boat, headed over to Europe, and that boat sank. And his wife sent him a telegram that she was the only survivor. And so as he sailed across the Atlantic to meet her, he asked the captain of the boat to stop at the very place where the ship had sank, where his daughters had lost their lives. And he took, back, he took out his notebook and he penned the words to the great hymn, it is well with my soul. Will you bow your heads with me as we come to this moment of response today? The question for you, is it well with your soul? Does your soul know the living God in Christ Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you know him? If you do know him, then... Is what you're looking for found in him? Or are you following the ways of the world and dividing yourself? And is your soul sick and unhealthy? Because you say that you're in Christ, but your life bears the marks of something far different. Whatever it is today, as I said earlier, we don't just wanna point you, we wanna walk with you to Jesus. 
the Jesus who fills all things in every way, including our souls. So Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that despite the season and the circumstance, despite the situation and our emotions, that we can ultimately point to you, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what you have done for us on our behalf, and we can declare it to be true, that it is well with our souls. And all God's people said, amen. Stand with us as we sing these words in response this morning.